I also have on my mind this morning that there are Methodists that are meeting in other places, not just here in town. We have that going on, of course. But there are Methodists that are gathered from all over the world in St. Louis that are meeting at the General Conference. And they started their day early with worship at 7.30 this morning. That's a little earlier. Um, They are focused right now on a business session uh, as they are uh, receiving reports from the way forward and also amendments to the reports. And so we would do well to keep them in our prayers, knowing that the Holy Spirit uh, answers and moves in very mysterious ways to do things that we thought might be impossible. Uh, We do want to uh, put our entire trust in our Lord who calls us to be his people, one. May they be one, Lord, as you and I are one. And we remember that our vision for not only this congregation, but for all those in whom we do ministry uh, would be one in Christ, one community, one calling. Say that with me if you would. One in Christ, one community, one calling. I do trust that as God has worked in great and marvelous ways before this general conference, God will work in great and generous ways after this general conference. And God will bless Pittman Park United Methodist Church. He has gathered us here for good purpose in this place to disperse us and the ways in which we think about him and love him, disperse this into the world that is called Statesboro and Bullock County and even in ever larger circles. And so trust and be at peace that we are in God's good favor. The Coca-Cola logo, have you thought about that. You probably don't too much, but let me tell you that it does affect your life. It is said to be the second most recognizable symbol in the entire world. That is fascinating. I went to visit Dennis Key this week. Dennis Key is the manager of the local Coca-Cola distributing complex. Um, Even more so, Dennis Key is a first cousin once removed. His daddy is my first cousin. (laughs) I thought this is an appropriate time to pay a visit to Dennis Key. I said to Dennis, I said, when we were visiting with each other, confirm for me this. I understand that it is the goal of Coca-Cola that a Coca-Cola would be within arm's reach of every person on this planet. He said, you got it. He said, that's exactly what the goal is. And in fact, I could tell that it had been drummed into him. He looked me in the eye when he said it because he believed it, that a Coke would be within arm's reach of every person on this planet. Think about this just a minute. Seven billion People and Coca-Cola's goal is to have a Coca-Cola within arm's reach of every one of them. You can bet that Coca-Cola is working passionately on this. They have done so for years, and they have not relinquished uh, this focus that they have. They've taken huge strides in order that they might have reached this this plateau, this level of being the second most recognizable symbol 
And so I've said it again, which probably raises for you the question, what is the number one most recognizable symbol in the world? Do you have any guess? Exactly. The cross of Jesus Christ is the most recognizable symbol in all of the world. It's interesting how much the cross is a part of our lives. In fact, it is so pervasive as to be ubiquitous. It has permeated so the world around us that I would dare say that for some it has become so common that it has lost its call to action because that's what it was in its very beginning. This is the cross of Jesus Christ and this is the life to which we are called as well as those early Christians were committing themselves to divest themselves of everything that they had and everything that they were in order to follow this dangerous road of Jesus, of self-sacrifice. Can you imagine sharing the goal of placing Jesus within arm's reach of everyone on this planet? Huh. Let me ask you this. Can you imagine sharing Jesus within arm's reach with everyone in Statesboro, Georgia, or Bullock County? After Jesus' death and resurrection, he made appearances to his followers, and they were absolutely entranced with who he was. And he would miraculously appear and then just as miraculously disappear from their midst. Matthew and Mark particularly remember that before Jesus' ascension into heaven, that he gave specific instructions. He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. That sort of sounds like one of those arm's reach kind of relationships, doesn't it? To go and baptize, to share the good news. As Luke remembers, the very last sightings of Jesus in the flesh, what he remembers is that Jesus gave instruction to wait in Jerusalem. And why would that be the case? Because I think he wished them to be prayerfully aware of what the Holy Spirit might do besides what they were able to do on their own. And so they did wait there, just as you and I waited um, with a period of 40 days of prayer before this sermon series, this focus on vision. And let's train ourselves again. Can you say this with me? One in Christ, one community, one calling. We spent time in prayer waiting for what God might do with us as his people. And the Holy Spirit has not even yet begun to show us all of the ways in which we might be used. Luke remembers that as he tells the story, the second part of the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is recorded in the pages of Acts, that the disciples were gathered and that they were prayerful with each other. But then the Holy Spirit did this remarkable thing of breaking in on their midst and igniting them, igniting them with that which was the essence of Jesus, 
They spilled forth onto the streets and began to share the good news as it had been given to them. It was the story that they already knew, but there was this new energy that was a part of their sharing that was just absolutely infectious to those that were on the street. It says just a verse before what was read this morning in this telling. So those who welcomed his message, talking about Peter and Peter's message about Jesus. So those who welcomed his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 persons were added. That is incredible. Incredible. But what is even more incredible to me is the nature of what the disciples did following that influx of 3,000 people who heard Jesus' message. And that was specifically uh, where we started this morning. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And so you see what's happening here is that prayers precede the blessing of the Spirit, and prayers follow the blessing of the Spirit. This is who we are called to be God's people. It says all came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together, one community, and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. They were sharing life together, sharing life together. And the vision that they had is so in line what you and I have been focusing on here that we are, let's say it together again, one in Christ, one community, one calling. One of my favorite stories that Luke tells is about Jesus' interaction with Zacchaeus, where Zacchaeus, this chief tax collector, hears that Jesus is coming to town. He is short in stature. Here we go with the children's song again here in my mind. But Zacchaeus crawls up the tree, and when Jesus is passing with his entourage of disciples, he happens to see Zacchaeus there, and he points at Zacchaeus, and he says, get down because I'm coming to stay at your house today. Of course, he was ridiculed. Jesus was, not Zacchaeus. They could care less about Zacchaeus. But Jesus had made the decision to go to someone who was an outcast of the church, someone that the church did not believe should be connected in with what was going on, and that Jesus had not evidently striked from his list of those that were worthy of his presence. The conversation, who knows exactly what it was with Zacchaeus and Jesus, but I can tell you that the result of it was that Zacchaeus turned his heart over to Jesus. Jesus had made himself within arm's reach of Zacchaeus and he was not going to miss the opportunity. Who knows whether Zacchaeus continued in his profession. There's no indication that he quit being a tax collector, 
But I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you this, that he redefined, or I should say Jesus redefined that day what it meant to be a tax collector and to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus said to Zacchaeus and to those that were hearing, but I know that Jesus was looking directly in Zacchaeus's eyes when he said it. He said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And Zacchaeus wasn't offended by that because he knew that Jesus loved him. And Jesus made different ways of thinking and living possible. Some of you know the secret that I love to fish. I've done pretty good. I haven't talked about it for the past year in any sermon that I can remember. But I still think about fishing even when I am not doing it. My family particularly knows this. I was given a present that had to do with fishing at Christmas. We draw names in our families. It would get too expensive for us to give everybody a gift in our family, which is an ever-expanding circle. And this seems to work well because Sarah understands what her daddy likes. And she gave me a subscription to something that is called Lucky Tackle Box, which is right down my alley every month. And it was just a three-month subscription. But, but every month, they send you a new box that is filled with fishing lures. Filled with fishing lures. And I think to myself, this is exactly what I need. I know Sue is thinking, that's not what he needs. That's not what he needs. <laughs> But my daughter understands me, and I aim to use each and every one of those at some point. I was discussing this with my district superintendent just the other day, and he said, Bill, he said, I have come to believe that fishing lures in all their variety are more about catching the fishermen than they are about catching the fish. And I... I know that that is true. Um, in fact, the more I think about it, that the, the purity of fishing probably uh, is far more complex than it needs to be. I saw a YouTube video of this amazing man. He must have been a farmer. He walked out on his dock that was air, there at uh, a little pond on his property. He had a John Deere cap on. And he had a friend with him. You can Google this this afternoon and watch it yourself. It's fascinating. But he, he reached down. He grabbed a, a large minna. He told his friend to watch. And he got down on his belly and leaned out over the edge of that dock. And he put his hand down into the edge of the water that little minnow wiggling back and forth. And then he put his hand down a little bit further into the water, maybe three or four inches. And in just a moment, the largest bass I've ever seen came for that minnow. And he grabbed that big fish by the chin and he pulled it up on the dock with him. His friend, of course, was amazed 
uh, his friend quickly ran for a scale and they hooked it in the gills of that fish and weighed it out at 16 plus pounds. It was fascinating to me. And of course, the guy was smiling at this thing that he had done. And then he held the fish up and then very gently lowered the fish back down into the water and sent it happily on its way. Ah, within arm's reach. (laughs) I think I've got to try this from Barry Blozier's dock. (laughs) What reminds me, though, of what Coca-Cola is trying to do to put a Coca-Cola within arm's reach of every person on this planet. It reminds me of the question, will Coke be more passionate in sharing their message than we will in sharing the message of Christ? And that was not meant to be rhetorical. Let me ask it again. Will Coke be more passionate in sharing their message than we will in sharing the message of Christ? That's not good enough at all. (laughs) Will Coca-Cola be more passionate in sharing their message than we are in sharing the message of Jesus Christ. One more time. Will Coca-Cola be more passionate in sharing their message than we will in sharing the message of Jesus Christ? That's good. I believe you now. I want you to keep this on your mind. That you and I have a call to action. Just as we are one in Christ and we are one community, we are one calling. As you, at the end of this service, leave at both exits of this sanctuary, you'll find cans of Coke there. And I want you to take a can of Coke with you. Um, If you want to open it. Doesn't that sound good? (laughs) If you want to open it and drink it. And make it a part of who you are. You can do that. Or if you choose, you can just take a can of Coke and leave it sitting on your kitchen counter at home. So every morning when you come there, you'll see it and be reminded of what? Coca-Cola? No. Our calling in Christ, our calling in Christ, which sends us forth for him. As we gather at his table, let us remember that we are one in Christ, one community, One calling.